What's up with the the Slender Man guy? So that the is NBA. What's his deal? He's seven foot five. Holy fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listeners, I'm on my own now, so it's the Amanda Hour. Um, I've been playing a lot of Movie Grid, and I'm only just okay at it. This is a really excellent piece of audio, me eating Cheez-Its. I'm going to try to eat them in an ASMR type thing. Here's my Cheez-It. It's going in my mouth now. Welcome to Blind Spotters, a movie podcast about the movies we've missed. I'm Zach Pocklip. And I'm Amanda Luberto. And today we're doing a movie swap of Martin Scorsese movies. I watched Casino for the first time, and Amanda, what did you watch? I watched The Color of Money. Marty! 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 Just a podcast about the greatest living American filmmaker. But before we get to all of that, how are you doing? What have you been watching? I'm good. Um, I went on my vacay, felt very refreshed. Um, Come back. I got sick recently, but other than that, I'm doing great. Uh, I've been watching a lot of, up until yesterday, a lot of playoff baseball. Fucking RIP. Um, But some other good things I've been watching is in preparation for Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, I've been watching a lot of Morton Scorsese films that I had not seen. One of them that I'm going to mention is the short documentary he did on his parents and about their experience immigrating to America called Italian American. It really just hit home. It's very cozy feeling. I like there were so many lines in there. I was like, oh, I've heard this before. Um, It was just really delightful. A little slice of life. The other movie I watched uh, for spooky season was You're Next. It's a 2011 like slasher film. I feel like Lionsgate made so many like A minus B plus horror movies that are like not quote unquote like elevated horror, which is like way more common now, but they are like still really solid. Um, I always think of like the first Purge is like a good example. Um, and your next, I knew had been on that list. It's like one that's always suggested by people who really like horror films. But I had never seen it, so got that off. Nice, really fun. Um, enough, tr- enough like twists to keep you interested, but still just like real straightforward slasher film. It's a uh, real spook. Speaking of spooky stuff, I'm gonna throw some TV in here. But every single Halloween season, uh, Mike Flanagan puts out a very excellent cinematic television series that has some real horror themes to it on Netflix. And this year, it was The Fall of the House of Usher, and it has a lot of connections to Edgar Allan Poe poetry, and it was just really well done and really excellent, and I breezed through it. Um, Matt Saracen is like a common player in the Mike Flanagan universe. Julie. 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 <laughs> his his stumble is not in the Mike Flanagan universe, but uh, yeah, he's like a fun 
character to always see. And there's, he uses a lot of the same actors in different ways. How are you? What have you been up to? What have you been watching? I'm good. Uh, first of all, celebrated back-to-back championships from the Las Vegas Aces. Shout oh, out yeah. Becky Hammond, Asia Wilson, Young, Kelsey Plum. Um, but as far as uh, what I've been watching, um, I watched Gaslight, the uh, famous Ingrid Bergman movie from 1944 that uh, created the term gaslighting. Um, really mm. great. Ingrid Bergman is beautiful and uh, yeah. it's a frustrating but good movie. Flipping it 80 years into the future, I watched the movie Sanctuary. Um, that's the one with Margaret Qualley and Christopher Abbott like in a hotel room. And like she plays a dominatrix and there, he plays like a hotel heir um who's about to rise to like ceo or whatever that happens um lots of succession roman roy jerry jokes on letterboxd about that cool i love christopher abbott girls alumni naturally and margaret qualley is uh sick in that movie and then uh another 2023 film i watched recently that i just uh really really enjoyed was the burial um this is jamie fox tommy lee jones journey smollett courtroom drama uh, and it's really pleasant. It's just like a warm, cozy courtroom drama that you'd probably see in like a dime a dozen of in the 90s. Uh, but instead of in the theater, uh, it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, Jamie Foxx probably at some point in like history would have gotten like a nomination for his role. He's like hyper charismatic. He's like really unleashed in it. Uh, so if you have uh, a couple hours, would recommend just for that. But I think what we've both been watching and we mentioned uh, is lots of Marty because it's Marty season. Yes, we. it is Marty season. Uh, his most recent epic, I guess, has come to theaters. This was by far the most anticipated movie of the year, especially after Dune 2 moved. Um, and this movie has moved a lot and for, you know, famously for a long time, we only had that one screenshot, um, and, and all this stuff. So it's finally here, but so we decided to celebrate by watching Martin Scorsese movies. So yeah, I watched The Color of Money and Zach watched Casino. Um, and that's why they're paired is for, for Martin. He is, I don't know, I would say widely regarded to be the best American filmmaker of his generation of the last 50 years, all that stuff. Um, He's directed 27 feature-length narrative films, 17 feature-length documentaries, seven short films, countless like commercials and episodes of television. And he's just involved in a lot of shit, which is really cool. Yeah. And to put it succinctly, like he is the defining director i think of the last 50 years of american filmmaking he has directed no less than probably four of the greatest films ever and then even his like b-sides are some of the best movies you can watch too yeah his films that are for the masses aren't lesser than films that he makes for the the critics i guess i don't know what i'm trying to say you know what i'm trying to say his popcorn films are just as good yeah, and even his artsier films are entertaining and accessible um, and just dripping with, like, cinematic history. Honestly, the most, like, trite comparison I could – or analog that comes to mind is, like, he's really the LeBron James of filmmaking, by which I mean he's at least one of the, like, five best American directors ever, and also he's been doing this for 50 years. Like, no other director really has that kind of longevity. And arguably, he has produced four of his best films ever this century. And Killers of the Flower Moon, while I don't think is like one of his five best, would like probably top most other 
filmmakers' filmographies. I really like it. Yeah, what was your experience? So let's talk about Killers of the Flower Moon a little bit. If you don't want to know anything about Killers of the Flower Moon, skip ahead like five minutes. I'll put like like an alarm sound <laughs> and you can come back. Okay, so spoilers ahead. Spoiler, spoiler. Fucking loved Killers of the Flower Moon. I loved it. I think that no one gets Leo DiCaprio the way that Martin Scorsese does. One of the best um, interviews I saw in preparation for this movie was Martin Scorsese. I think it was being interviewed by GQ, um, one of those like film retrospectives where they talk about like their top films or whatever. And he talks about the experience of when Robert De Niro came to him and was like, I, f- I met a kid that I think could be your next me. And it was Leo, and it was so fun to see Leo and De Niro in the same movie together, just acting off of each other. But also, it's like one of the most beautiful films I've seen in a really long time that wasn't at the detriment of the plot being interesting. You know, there's there's a lot to say about is it his movie to make and you know, who are the heroes of this film and who are the villains and whose perspective are we going to put it through and all of that kind of stuff. But I just don't think that this film without Lily Gladstone is nearly as impactful and as spectacular. So while there is a lot of focus on like the Ernest character and like the uncle character, I think that the standout performances still remain with the the native actors of the film. Yeah. And I think to that point um, in terms of, is this Marty's story to tell uh, the perspectives takes who gets sidelined, who gets centered. I think because of the flower moon executes on exactly as much of the story that an 80 year old white guy can tell in the best way that he can tell it. Um, you know, and, and I don't mean that as like a good job, good effort, but like, no, he, the way the Native American perspectives are told, the the villainy through which uh, the De Niro and Leo and just the white characters in general are shown, um, that's the angle that Martin Scorsese could direct. And because it's Martin Scorsese, he put a lot of time and effort into uh, learning about the Osage community and the murders and, and all those things. And I think if we wanted a movie about Lily Gladstone's character more centered, it would have to have been uh, told from a different director. But at the same time, then you don't have like all these eyeballs because of Martin Scorsese. So I think Lily Gladstone has put it uh, really beautifully in a few different interviews in terms of you want like the the masters of Hollywood, the, the auteurs to be paying attention to these stories. And then also at the same time, you want Native Americans, uh, filmmakers telling Native American stories. And Lily Gladstone has already expressed like four or five different movies she would love to make, um, whether a producer, director or um, or acting, which uh, I am excited for Lily Gladstone season come Oscar season. Obviously, she's everybody's takeaway. She's such a specific and like titanic presence um, without saying anything and, and uh, kind of holds that weight on opposite of two of our greatest movie stars of all time um, in Leo and Robert De Niro. She is so hard to look away from. Like she is so captivating. I mean, for the first like 45 minutes of the film or whatever that she's in she doesn't really say a lot but like you can't help but be drawn to her the entire time um i think one of the most beautiful scenes i've seen in a martin scorsese film in a very long time was the 
passing of the mother and the very traditionalistic um, view of moving into the next realm, if you will. Um, I thought that was like, like my theater was like silent, like nobody was breathing. I was like, good. <laughs> if anyone makes a sound, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. I think that this movie is going to have a lot of up and down. I mean, it has almost as many good reviews as it has negative reviews, but I am also glad that he took the perspective of the like gangster film sort of situation, which he's obviously so good at, instead of this is how the FBI got started. Like that to me is right. way less interesting. Yeah, and if you don't know about the production history of this movie, uh, originally Scorsese was going to focus on the character Jesse Plemons plays, um, who is the FBI agent, and Leo was going to play that part um, over the pandemic. They decided to rewrite it from the perspective um, that the movie is now uh, as, as you see it. Um, and I agree. I think it's much more humane. I think it's much more emotional. Um, to Lily Gladstone, it's not. I, I just want to add on, like, it's not even just the stillness. Um, but it's also when she breaks from that stillness, it's whenever she not even emotes, uh, and, and is like wailing and, and sad, but like the moments with her sisters and, you know, just chatting shit, um, about each other's husbands, um, you know, her bantering back and forth with Leo. Um, I, I really liked their chemistry and their dynamic. There's not really a moment where you can kind of look away, um, because everything is so interwoven. Uh, so I, you know, I had a, a large popcorn and a large Sprite that I was sipping from uh, for three and a half hours, uh, but I, I held strong and um, really enjoyed it. I think a lot is going to be lost from people seeing it at home. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of mixed feelings. I was just talking to somebody about like, uh, or seeing them at home versus seeing them in the theater and what you gain and what you don't, but also like more people will see this movie when it's on streaming and I want more people to see the movies of our great directors and and things like that. We were discussing The Killer, <laughs> David Fincher's The Killer. Naturally. Um yes. Uh that's for a different conversation, but I did get to see that uh already. Do you have anything else to add on Killers of the Flower Moon? I don't think so. All right. Uh, yeah, welcome back to uh, Blind Spotters, where we talk about the movies we <laughs> missed. And uh, hopefully, you haven't missed Killers of the Flower Moon. But if not, come back and listen to that uh, very short and concise uh, rambling about that film. Um, <laughs> but let's move on to the movies we are swapping. Yes. I watch Casino. You watch Color of Money. Let's flip the coin and just get to it. Yeah. I'm going to call Heads. It is Tails. I oh, win. nice. That's three in a row for you. I was just about to say, didn't I win, like, wasn't it, like, me, then you, twice, then me? No, because we had this discussion last time. <laughs> I truly don't remember. But hey, what's up? I win. Faux shiz, faux shiz. <laughs> Shout out to Michelle Stop Williams. <laughs> no. Ew. Anyway, we're going to talk about uh, Color of Money first. Yeah, cool. That's what I was going to choose also. Sick. Amanda, money one is twice as sweet as money earned you watch color of money tell me what happens in this film okay fast eddie played by paul newman is a re has retired from playing pool as seen in the 1961 movie the hustler not to be confused with hustlers which is a very different film um and <laughs> <laughs> as, 
I wrote originally as seen in the 1961 movie Hustlers. And I was like, wait a second. Um, <laughs> anyway, one day he sees young Vincent, played by Tom Cruise, hustle his guy Julian, played by John Turturro. Julian's not really like a main character. I just wanted to talk about John Turturro being in this movie. Love John Turturro. He's instantly impressed by him and his girlfriend, who seems to be managing the whole shakedown. Her name is Carmen. This is played by Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio. Finding him the next day at his toy shop day job, Eddie offers to take Vincent on the road to this Atlantic City competition. Um, he offers to teach him the art of the hustle, essentially, and make sure that he is basically the dark horse to win the whole thing, that no one sees it coming. Eddie tries to set the record straight with Carmen, letting them know that they have to be on the same side, pushing Vincent to places that he doesn't want to go in order to be bulletproof in Atlantic City. He shows Vincent and Carmen around some of his old haunts, but Vincent has a really hard time losing. So part of the hustle is that you have to lose enough times that they don't suspect you and and you keep upping it until suddenly you win the big game. His ego is getting the best of him and he even blows a game by showing off and missing the bigger hustle that would have been later on. Eddie and Vincent have a heart-to-heart and agree that Vincent will have to curb his ego if he wants to keep his eyes on the big prize and learn from Eddie. One night, Vincent is showboating against Grady Seasons, who is like a famous pool player at this point, but at the last minute, he dumps the game, and this is very inspiring to Eddie that he was able to overcome, and he starts playing again. One night, after a very long day of drinking, Eddie is hustled by Amos, and he feels like he has absolutely lost the juice to call back to a previous Blind Spotters movie. Eddie, Vincent, and Carmen basically have a breakup after a big argument. Chafed, Eddie decides that he's going to get his juice back and plays until he too is in this Atlantic City tournament. Unsurprisingly, because this is how movies go, Eddie and Vincent find themselves in the position where they have to play each other. Eddie wins over Vincent, finally feeling vindicated. Later in his hotel room, Vincent and Carmen smugly show up to Eddie's room to give him, quote, like his cut of the hustle um, and says that he threw the game to let Eddie win. He is crushed, cannot move on, basically, and Eddie forfeits his semifinal game and goes back to challenge Vincent to a rematch in a back room. How did I do? You did great. It's a very uh, straightforward uh, movie as far as uh, Marty goes. So why did you pick this movie out of all of the ones I hadn't seen? Um, I know you were debating between a few. Yeah, I was mostly debating between this and the movie he directed previous to this film, After Hours. Um, But I just wanted to pick this film because it's one of those movies that Marty did for them. Like, you know, it's a studio job. It's not really something he would really go after. It's kind of a legacy sequel to um, to The Hustler. Um, it's kind of like The Hustler, Fast Eddie in vain of like Top Gun Maverick. But you can still see Scorsese um, as he transitions, you know, through his difficult 80s um, making movies, still having the zhuzh of uh, Scorsese like you can see him putting his touches and his flavors into a story that doesn't necessarily need them I kind of think about like Inside Man and Spike where Inside Man is the least Spike movie but it's still very Spike so it's not by any means Marty's best film or in his top 10 
or 12, but also it's a movie that was very important for Paul Newman's career as far as accolades. Uh, you have a very young Tom Cruise and a very young Forrest Whitaker. So there's uh, definitely some fun aspects of this since we are two people who love movies. Um, so with that in mind, why don't you tell me what were your first watch impressions and what stood out? Eddie does not seem like a fun hang. He seems like someone I would not want to be on the road with. Um, he seems like a loose cannon and not in like a like a cool way. Um, it sounds like he's got stick up his butt and I didn't really enjoy hanging out with him <laughs> too much. <laughs> <laughs> he's 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 had a hard run of it, you know. He's you didn't need to watch the hustler to watch to, to watch this film, but yeah. if you see him in the hustler, um it's kind of like watching Star Wars and then seeing The Last Jedi. And like, if you haven't like deified Luke Skywalker, you kind of understand why he'd be so scorned. It makes a lot of sense why 61-year-old Paul Newman would be the way he is at that point. Totally. And that was definitely my thought while I was watching it is like, I'm sure that if had I seen The Hustler, I would have a different understanding or a different view of Fast Eddie. That was just sort of my like takeaway. He's, he's real. He's a hard ass, but also like that's what makes him good. Right, he's a hard and he's been living that hustler life for decades at this point. And all the ups and downs and like the addictiveness of money earned versus money won. Um yeah. and trying to make a life selling bourbon, I guess. What else stood out to you? <laughs> the nunchucking of Tom Cruise's pool cue <laughs> is so lame, but it's like so funny and it just is like Tom Cruise the little weirdo always doing something weird in a movie. I would love to maybe do a Tom Cruise swap one day. I have so many mixed feelings about Tom Cruise that I feel like I express every single time we talk about him. He looks like such a dweeb. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because we have like, is Tom Cruise a human coming into this movie? Like, Like our lens is like, he is not a person. But in 1986, like this is the same year Top Gun came out. And so he was just being really weird and just jamming out to werewolves of London with his like <laughs> teeth and unibrow. When I when we talked about Mission Impossible in the summer movie bonus episode, we had a discussion about how I felt like I could feel Tom Cruise wanting to feel cool the entire time I was watching the movie. And this was like before that was on him, like because he wasn't a movie star yet. He was just like a kid who was acting in these like grandstandy to- type roles he's so charming he's so funny um but he also wears a shirt that says vince on it it's so good (laughs) (laughs) um and like this is like before the hollywoodification of tom cruise um so it's just like silly to see him in these sort of positions before he really is in like what we know as tom cruise i do think vincent is in the discussion for most punchable tom cruise character Ever. Oh, I'm I'm really glad you said that because like when we did the when we were talking about Mission Impossible, you did not have the same reaction about like I I just feel so inauthentic because he feels like he's trying to be cool the whole time and you're like he is cool. <laughs> I'm like okay. Um but I totally agree. But I was nervous when I wrote this that you would be like, "No, like he is cool." <laughs> <laughs> no. No, like this character is, a, is is annoying. He's brash. He's cocky. He's uh, so annoying. Giving Paul Newman a hangover without even before he even gets really deep into to the bourbon. 
he, yeah, he's just a he's a boy, like in the most Claire Foy in First Man way. Like he's just <laughs> a boy playing with a stick of wood. What else uh, stood out to you on first watch? Maybe it's because I'm watching more Martin Scorsese films that this really stood out to me. But there were some really classic Scorsese shots in this movie. But I think this is some of the best editing Thelma Schoonmaker has done that I've seen. It's quick. It's fun. It is like the shots that are long are the right shots to be longer than the shots that are short. I don't know how else to explain it, but it is like just really punchy and makes really excellent use of the types of shots that Marty likes to draw on. So that was something that really stood out to me. And and they have reunited for the Killers of the Flower Moon um, movie recently. There's the energy that comes with a Martin Scorsese movie. And so much of that is captured in in the edit. Um, yeah. In the, in the speed of the cuts and the shots um, selected. Especially the pool sequences. There's so much uh, like viscerality to it. I do want to give like a little bit of history to those who might not know who Thelma Schoonmaker is. So... She is famously the editor on most of the Martin Scorsese films. They met way back when uh, they were both at NYU. Um, and she edited his directorial debut, Who's That Knocking at My Door? Um, and she has been nominated for eight Academy Awards for Best Film Editing. And the three that she has won are all Scorsese films, Raging Bull, The Aviator, and The Departed. So yeah, they've they've been together for a while. Um, it's just very she's very 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 cool, um, and yeah, she rocks. someone that people should know about. All right, so since you have watched this movie, what have you thought about the most since that moment? There is just like a thing about faith in so many of his films. He's a, a Italian American. It's hard to get away from it. But there is a line um, throughout the. There was a line in the film that I immediately wrote down where someone says, I get high on the man upstairs. And I was like, that is such a Martin Scorsese line. Like we have drugs and God in the same sentence. Like this is perfect. <laughs> That's also some like 80s ass like war on drugs shit too. Yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. Another big thing, of course, is that this is the sort of passing of the torch between the two biggest movie stars. I mean, Paul Newman was huge coming into this film. And for him to do a movie with Tom Cruise, who was sort of on the up and up and was not yet, as we said, broken through into movie stardom, but people definitely had their eyes on him. It really felt like he was handing it off to him to say like, all right, now you get to be the biggest movie star. And it was just really fun to see them play off of each other in this film. For sure. And I think Tom Cruise, too, was as much like joining the project to work with Paul Newman, right? Like he wanted to learn from him, to observe him, to be in scenes with him. You know, what's crazy is Paul Newman is 61 in this movie when they make it. And Tom Cruise is 61 now, and he's still just jumping out of planes and off of motorcycles. Yeah. And making his own legacy sequels. Looks like he's made of plastic. (laughs) (laughs) He said so much work done. We got to do a supercut of all just like the adjectives and descriptions you've given Tom Cruise uh, because it sounds like you're describing Ultron. Oh, have you thought about anything else? Um, my biggest, if I had to give it like a, a one sentence review of this film is that it turns out that I don't really care about gambling or billiards. <laughs> <laughs> Tough. I don't think this movie is boring. 
I just don't think this movie is for me. I think I don't really care about gambling because I am not competitive. Like, I just like, I think that's also why I don't care about why I'm not good at sports isn't because I was never athletic enough. It's that I just like don't really care who wins and thus like I'm not going to dive for the ball or whatever because like it doesn't really matter to me that much. I'm just like having fun um, <laughs> playing my little game. Um, and like my team just lost the the World Series. And then I was like, oh, well, it was fun that we got there. <laughs> and I, like, moved I think on. you're just a damaged Arizona sports fan. I mean, there's a lot of things that's at stake <laughs> here, but um, it is excellent that Marty made a movie so interesting that I was still really into this film while not caring about gambling or billiards, the two themes of this film. That's basically how I feel about Moneyball as a person who doesn't really care about baseball nor math, but I just really enjoy that movie. But do you care about Brad Pitt and his daughter? Well, he's just a little bit caught in the middle. <laughs> when you were having that realization, were you bumping up against like your interest in the movie itself? No, but... And I think... Okay. I don't feel like I was it was bumping up against that, which is also a great testament to the movie that they made um, and the acting in the movie that they made was that I was still interested. So what were some of the first things you looked up about this movie? So I wrote them in order, which usually I just write them in like an order of importance, but I just wrote them in order that I looked them up. So I think this is kind of funny. This is a, a look into how my brain works. Number one. He's so young. Where is this in Tom Cruise's career? So Tom Cruise was 24 when he came out with this film. It is the same year that Top Gun came out, as we discussed. But um, So he's definitely known, but he is on the up and up. Um, the next thing I looked up was, is that Iggy Pop? Do you know who Iggy Pop is? I have no fucking clue who Iggy Pop is. Okay, so Iggy Pop is a frontman for the Stooges, which is a punk, like a very, very famous punk band. Um, Got from it. Detroit. He uh, plays one of the the pool guys that Eddie plays against. And I was correct. It was Iggy Pop. 10 points for Amanda. <laughs> um, he's just like a stringy looking guy. And then did Tom Cruise learn to play pool to be in this movie or was it dubbed in? So famously, Tom Cruise did learn how to play pool for this movie. Shocker. And, yeah. Paul Newman also made all, most of his own shots. I assume he learned for The Hustler, not for this film in particular, but the two of them really did play pool. Um, there was a, an exception when one of the balls had to like basically jump over the other one, um, jump over like two of them. I don't know. It was a, a trick shot, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. where that was, that was dubbed in, but I mean, that makes a lot of sense. There was a lot of general billiards playing that the two of these men learn to do in an exciting fashion and well enough to be in this movie. So that's always very cool. And this part isn't like not obvious, but it is just so well executed is how um, kind of like, you know, in action scenes, the best action scenes reveal character where this could be fight scenes um, like, like in, in Creed and, and Rocky movies. It really is um, probably done the most obviously and clearly. Um, I do think that that is also told in this movie really well. Um not just whenever Tom Cruise is nunchucking, but just the looks he gives to his opponent, the little tr the little trash talk he'll do, and when Eddie starts to get back into it, um, again it's really fun. In the Hustler, he's called Fast Eddie because he will like hit a shot, and then while the ball is kind of like still rolling but slowing down, he'll hit his next shot. Oh my god! 
and it would just be like a continuous like the ball would just be in motion the whole time so it's fun to see him like once he gets back he's not like quite fast eddie um but he has kind of come back onto the scene if you will um through sheer determination and swimming uh what else did you look up about this movie I suspected that many of the people playing against Tom Cruise and Paul Newman were professional pool players, um, and I was correct. So according to a website that I think is so funny, billiardsmovies.com, <laughs> it's like perfect. It's like, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Shout out to the internet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There were four professional, well-known players in The Color of Money, and all of them played opponents of our main characters, so... That's always fun. That's cool. I, I do always enjoy whenever a niche sport or industry gets to have the people within it shine a little bit. Exactly. Then, um, lastly, of course, I looked up the Oscars. It did get four nominations um, for Best Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Art Direction. And the only winner was Paul Newman. It was his first Academy Award for Best Actor um, and he did not come to the ceremony. Famously, he said, I have been there six times and lost. Maybe if I stay away, I'll win. So he was not there to accept his uh, his first win, but I think that's really funny. God, Paul Newman's so cool. He is so cool. I was thinking about where, like, what is my relationship to Paul Newman, and I think I came to the conclusion the first place I saw him was in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid such a long relationship with that movie. I saw it really young. Um, so I think that's probably like where I know him the best, um, followed by Slapshot probably is the next best movie I've seen That makes seen sense, the tracks. And then uh, most recently, of course, The Sting. And I, I'm missing a lot of his, uh, his biggest and best films. It's a good filmography to work through. I, I've still only barely made a dent. Um your mom really loves one of his movies, like loves uh, Cool Hand Luke, right? My mom does love Cool Hand Luke, but my mom loves Butch Cassie and Sundance Kid. That is like who I saw it with for the first time. This is a fun little story. So my mother, okay, back up. My father and I go on a lot of skiing trips together and we like traveled all over to like go skiing together. Somehow my mother was the one to take me to Sundance, which is not only known for its film festival, but is also a great ski mountain. And somehow my mom and I went on a ski trip to Sundance, which is so funny because my mom does not enjoy skiing. Um, and I took like a lesson half day so that I like had somebody to ski with. And then we would like do art stuff in the afternoon. But I remember very distinctly that like you could go to the front desk and rent any of uh, Robert Redford's movies like for yeah. free and like watch his movies. So that's when I had wa first watched Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid was like at Sundance, like in the hotel room at Sundance. And I texted my mom in prepping for this and asked her like, when was that trip? I was pretty young. And we think it's 2003. So I oh, was wow. like very young, like nine. <laughs> that's the magic of movies, the power of cinema and the, also the magic of Robert Redford. Yeah, true that. Okay, so what uh, was your favorite scene or scenes from this film? So the two that stood out to me and I've thought about the most is I love the scene when Carmen and Eddie are trying to trip up Vincent 
by like being super flirty and super touchy and like real sexy. It's very funny. And instantly you as the audience, because you are smarter than Vincent, know what's going on and you know that he's going to like freak out. Um, so it's just really entertaining. And I just wanted to say, because we haven't talked about her much, but Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio is really freaking good in this film. Um, yeah, Oscar nominated. I enjoy her a lot. And then she doesn't really do anything after this. Like she has a career, but like she she doesn't, she isn't in more notable films, um, which is mm-hmm. too bad because I thought she was charming. I thought she was winning, um, real slick. I, I enjoyed her performance a lot. Yeah, she's also beautiful, but she also had like a really big theater life. But yeah, after this, she, I don't know, I guess like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, like might be her most famous movie. Yeah, I just mentioned that because uh, when I watched this movie for the first time, I looked her up first because I I know about Paul Newman. I know about Tom Cruise. So I just wanted to see what her deal was. It was a little bummed out. There wasn't more to it. Um, anyway, what was the other scene you were going to mention? The scene where Eddie goes outside right after he beats Vincent and like celebrates just like a little moment to himself. Like, I fucking I still got it. Then he like collects himself and goes back outside. Like that scene is like always classic anytime that happens in a movie. So I thought it was really sweet. Especially to your point earlier that he's like not a good hang. That was like the most joy we had seen from him at that point, which makes it all the more uh, enjoyable. Okay. Do you have any other questions about this movie? Yeah, I have a few questions. You've seen The Hustler. So this is a question more like based on that information. The Balabushka, which is this pool cue that he gives... Uh, Tom Cruise's character, it's like a big deal. They talk about it a lot. Was that the stick that Newman's character played with in the first film? Is that why it's so important? Or is it just like a very famous, like high-end pool cue? Yeah, it's not the one that he uses in The Hustler. I think that's an Al Taylor, if I remember whenever I uh, researched for this. But um, yeah, Balabushka is just a, a notable maker of it. It's like, oh my God, he's giving me Air Jordans. Okay, because I did <laughs> note. Oh my God. <laughs> this was my first thought. Someone was like, he gave you a balabushka? It like felt so much like the scene in Harry Potter. The first one where he gets the Nimbus 3000. That's <laughs> like instantaneous. I was like, was oh, this a fucking Nimbus 3000 pull cue? Like what's happening? Oh my so God. Dumb. Any other questions? (laughs) Yeah. Um, One's personal and then one I want to theorize on a little bit more. Um, Did Have you ever played much pool? Do you play much pool? Do you have a history of billiards playing? I've played pool, but like just at a friend's house who had a pool table, I wasn't like passionate about it. That makes sense. So this is a question that I had. And then in all content that I consumed in research no one brought this up so maybe it's not a question did vincent really hustle eddie or did he just say that because he lost and he wanted to cover his ass yeah i think the fact that he made the bet that he did uh is the proof that like he was playing the hustle especially because he's so money hungry and wants to play the green room games anyway since that's where the money is like i do think vincent is enjoying the fact that he hustled the guy who taught him how to do the hustle and i don't think vincent was aware of the like personal stakes and pride that Eddie was taking in that win. I think he was just kind of smugly like, I got you. Like, I I got the guy who taught me. And at the same time, Eddie's like realizing the kind of monster he has made and the path that he has set um, and the tools he has given 
uh, Vincent. And that's why at the end of the movie, he's like, it doesn't matter if it's here or Houston or Dallas or wherever else on the, I guess, Billiards American tour. Um, he's going to beat him for real. And who knows if you will, but I think in this one, uh, Vincent saw a perfect opportunity. Good point. That was just sort of the impression I got the first time. And then no one else brought it up. And I was like, oh, maybe I read that wrong. It seems like I might have. The first time I watched it, too, I was a little surprised. I was like, wait, what? But the fact that he makes the bet is all the proof that like you kind of need there. Um, do you have any questions for me? A couple quick ones. Any thoughts on playing pool and billiards? I guess you kind of said this earlier. I've also played pool at friends' houses, but um, I'm not exponentially good at it um okay uh i do this to you all the time but uh since you mentioned the passing of the torch um uh, per se between paul newman and tom cruise are there people today that you would want to play eddie and vincent in a sort of reboot or reimagining of the story so i went in the complete opposite direction from passing the torch which i understand is the subtext of this film but i just went on like the basis of their character. I went like personality tropes more than I went passing the torch, um, which is how I came up with these combinations. <laughs> For the Eddie character, I think Brian Cranston would be really fun or Bobby Cannavale. Like I could see either of those actors playing that sort of position. And then for the Vincent character, I went with Will Poulter, who I just think is really just an interesting actor in general. Um, but if I wanted to age down a little bit, because obviously Tom Cruise is 24 in this movie, Will Poulter is about 30. Um, I went with Jenna Ortega. I think that she is just like really fascinating as an actress right now. And I could see her having like the big ego and like, why are you trying to put me in a box, old man? Like kind of niss to her. Um, either of them, I think, would be really fun to see play such like a showy performance i like that shout um jenna Cortega can get back into her viral dancing with uh but this time with a pool cue <laughs> i just thought about this i think it'd be fun and that like the ages don't match but i just enjoy it um i want to reunite jk simmons and miles teller wow great nailed it i spent so much time thinking about it <laughs> <Just> <laughs> crushed it right out of the fucking park <laughs> jesus christ Anyway, would you watch this movie again? <laughs> Probably not. All love to The Color of Money and the people who like it. Well, if you liked this movie, um, here's a few movies you could check out in theme uh, or that are generally the same vibe. Obviously, The Hustler, Paul Newman at not the peak of his powers, but he's like just beautiful. Um, it's a fun movie. Um, Jackie Gleason plays Minnesota Fats and is a titan of a character. Um and he kind of plays the big boss at the end, um, who kind of looms over the movie. And uh, Paul Newman really wanted Gleason as Minnesota Fats back in this movie, but they just couldn't figure it out uh, for the story. Um, so it's worth watching for that interaction. As far as a hard-bitten person mentoring a younger person who has a lot of chaos in him, uh, Hard Eight, Paul Thomas Anderson's first film uh, starring John C. Riley and Philip Baker Hall. Um, not my favorite PTA, but it has an enjoyable dynamic. Also, Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, and then the last movie is the Cincinnati Kid, uh, Steve McQueen poker movie, which uh, kind of has the same energy of The Hustler and um, and Color of Money as well. All right. Ready to go to Vegas? Let's do it. But first, let's take a break. Mm-hmm. 
you watched Martin Scorsese's 1995 classic, Casino, what happened in this movie? All right, Casino. Like you said, directed by Martin Scorsese, written by Scorsese and Nicholas Pileggi, based on Pileggi's book, Casino, Love and Honor in Las Vegas. The movie opens with Sam Ace Rothstein, who is played by Robert De Niro, getting in his car, which explodes. We rewind to the beginning uh, and learn that Sam was a bookmaker and became friends with Chicago Mafia enforcer Nicky Santoro, who is played by Joe Pesci. At the start, uh, Sam really excels when he is uh, sent to Vegas to run Tangier's Casino. It doubles the profits, uh, and uh, that allows the Midwest Mafia to skim the extra cash from the count room. Nikki is sent out to Vegas to look after Sam and protect him, but as soon as he gets there, he gets into some debauchery of his own, robs people, steals jewels, kind of is unable to just relax and sit on his hands. Eventually, Nikki ends up in the Black Book, which means he is banned from every casino in Nevada, and it brings a lot of unwanted attention to him, to De Niro, and to the operations around Tangiers. Meanwhile, Sam meets and falls in love with Ginger McKenna, played by Sharon Stone, a former sex worker who is a very successful hustler and showgirl. They have a fast romance, they have a daughter, and get married, but it quickly falls into turmoil, in part because of Ginger's erratic behavior and drug issues, as well as Sam's very controlling nature. Ginger also cannot leave her old pimp Lester Diamond behind, and he routinely asks her for money, which, obviously, that becomes an issue once Sam learns about it. Sam and Nikki both get kind of too comfortable and um, full of themselves in their positions of power, start rubbing people the wrong way, firing the wrong people, and they slowly kind of just see their empires collapse. Sam loses his gaming license, which means he can no longer run Tangier's Casino, and instead starts running a TV show inside of the casino, which again attracts unwanted attention to the skim. Nikki is attracting more police presence everywhere he goes, putting pressure on everyone, and eventually the mob bosses in Kansas City learn that people are skimming money from the skim. And so they assign Artie Piscano to oversee everything. However, Piscano is an idiot. He keeps records written and is eventually bugged by the FBI and is just talking freely about these undercover operations. While this is happening, Ginger falls into uh, more substance abuse and becomes more hostile towards Sam and spends more time with Lester. She tries to flee to Europe with their daughter and Lester. Um and eventually goes back to Sam, but things don't get better. At one point, Ginger starts an affair with Nikki. Um, and then as things are falling apart, uh, the FBI eventually busts up the Tangiers operation, arrests the bosses in Chicago, but uh, the mob bosses in Chicago arrange for everyone to get murdered um, in lieu of them potentially testifying against them and convicting them. So in the end, Ginger dies of a drug overdose. Sam survives the car bomb that we see in the beginning, um, which Sam believes Nikki planted and planted poorly. Nikki is murdered by the mafia and buried in a cornfield. Um, and then at the end, Sam becomes a bookmaker in San Diego while Las Vegas grows into what it is today. Looks like it's owned by Disney. How did I do? <laughs> I love that last line. It's so good. <laughs> I mean, there's obviously so much going on. It's almost a three hour movie. Um, and it's really fast. Like, there's a lot that happens in three hours. So, did a great job. Thank you. Uh, why don't you tell me why you picked this movie? I picked this movie because I think it is the obvious perfect trio with Goodfellas and the Irishman on either side. It sort of completes this little chapter book um, with De Niro that uh, Scorsese had been working on, what it means to be in the mafia, things like that. But also, as a Las Vegas boy, I figured it would be a fun watch. Um, I know that 
movies about Las Vegas are not always like your favorite, but I felt like this would be a fun version of it for you to see. It's not that I have a problem with Vegas movies. It's just that they're always about the casinos and the strip and the mafia. Yeah, as this one and was like as losing well. your mind. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but this one was made by Martin Scorsese, so that makes it okay. All right. So, what were your first impressions, and what stood out to you? I, I kind of put my notes. I kind of usually put my notes down in sequential order, um, much like you did for Color of Money today. But um, the beginning with uh, De Niro getting blown up reminded me of Mad Men and that intro mm, um, mm-hmm. of him falling out of the building. Uh, just knowing off jump, this is not going to go the way I want it to um, if I'm rooting for a central character. The other thing off jump was Vegas looks so small in this movie. When they pan out to show the like metropolitan area, I guess, or how much is built, that's like 20% of the city now. Vegas mm-hmm. is just rapidly expanded um, to an obscene amount. Uh, beyond just like the ways the strip and and Fremont and um, those areas have been built out, like the city itself has grown exponentially in the last, uh, I guess, three decades almost. Um, but that was like, wow, look how tiny Vegas is. It really was just like a sinner's paradise in the middle of the desert. Like that scene where it's overhead um, on the plane and you just see like the lights of Vegas proper and then dark desert all around it that's just not what it looks like anymore obviously i mean this movie is set so many years ago but it it did at one point it was like that yeah i I said 30 i mean 50 since this movie does take place during the 70s and 80s math is hard um (laughs) i mean vegas is always weird in terms of its history because it's both tied deeply into the mafia and deeply into mormon culture and that is shown in this film yeah and the and the way those things it's it's just such a strange city um and especially its origins like we even have a mob museum out here um that kind of touches on a lot of that as well um and we'll get more into the vegas touches throughout this discussion but uh yeah it's it's funny to see the history of vegas kind of shine through other thing that stood out i mean sharon stone obviously comes through like uh, a fireball what a woman we'll talk about sharon stone a, a lot more later but um, she just comes in a million miles an hour. It reminded me of like Marco Robbie coming in uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Um, mm-hmm. Although Margot, that was one of her first movies and Sharon Stone was a working actor. She was 37 when she played this part, but she really does play this femme fatale, just this force of nature and a force of nature that will like drop your jaw um, because of how stunning she looks in this film um, from just her looks in general to the costumes is really just iconic. <laughs> for lack of a better term. I love the scene where uh, Ace first sees her and like the whole world sort of slows down and she is just the center of his universe instantaneously. And as he describes her in the beginning of their relationship that she became the princess of the casinos, like you really can believe that that happened. And you believe that she has the charisma of someone who does make sure that the valet guys are are paid off so that everyone the whole system runs like a well-oiled machine because she just is like that beautiful and like caring but also like a loose cannon (laughs) ready to fire off we'll just get into this i think part of what i enjoy about this movie and uh you know this comes a few years after goodfellas and drew a lot of comparisons because of pesci and de niro 
and Scorsese. But to that point of when Ginger's like handing off, you know, money to the valet and to the bellhop and to this and to that, that's kind of her Copacabana moment. A hundred percent. I love that comparison. She's the like, I I think I wrote down tractor beam of charisma um, that she has. But I think where this movie develops into is that like, and, and Goodfellas does too in the last hour is it falling apart. You know, to draw casino and gambling reference, like the house always wins. Like the bosses will always win in the mob. And like, it doesn't matter how far ahead you are, you're, you're going to stay in that seat longer than you should and then lose everything. Um, but before we get there, we get to see Ginger McKenna, princess of casinos. It's a, it's, it's a walking red flag for Ace, a guy who loves to control all variables, pick the most unpredictable woman. I, I think that your connection between her handing off the money and Copacabana is so perfect because as these movies are obviously going to be compared, I mean, they're both even based off of books by the same uh, writer. Um, they're so comparable. But Ginger isn't Karen. Ginger is Henry Hill. Yes. Where you watch her be the very cool, very like connected, very suave person that just falls into madness as drugs and a want for more and control just like takes over her life. Like that's Henry Hill's story. That's not the girlfriend's story of the main character, um, which is, I guess, on a technicality, what uh, Ginger is in this movie. Other thing I thought of is... When I wrote it down, it was I said the opening act, but it kind of turned into like the whole movie. Kind of just feels like one big ass montage, setting up the world, explaining the world, um, laying out the characters and the rules. But the energy of it, I was like watching, and I wanted to see, you know, after the when I was going to feel the runtime, if at all. And it's it's so uh, not breathtaking in its scope, but like literally just like doesn't take a breath um, as it's building out the world of the Tangiers and and who Sam is and who Nikki is and how they came to be. And then Ginger comes into the scene. It's it's like, there's not really a plot. I know there is, but there's also not. Does it feel the same for you when you watch it? Yeah. And I, and I think that's on purpose because similar to the characters, it is a very like Coke fueled sort of energy. <laughs> yeah. um, but that gets you through like all of the things that are going on. It's like Scorsese spends as much time explaining the history of the mafia in Vegas as he does with his characters who are the mafia in Vegas. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I need you to understand how much the mob was intrinsically tied into Vegas and how much they ran this and you know how it all worked and how it was really just on a tightrope walking thing, even though everybody was dressed up all smooth and suave. Um, mm-hmm. It was just kind of crazy that somebody would walk into the skim room, take the money, and everybody would just kind of look the other way. And that's how the city was ran um, for decades. Anything else that stood out to you while you were watching it the first time? Um, just how Vegas is a, a real character in the film. Um, kind of in the same vein that uh, this is probably a first comparison between these two movies. Under the Silver Lake and Los Angeles being um, oh. a quirky character within that film. And we, talk, we talked about L.A. being a character or a subject in our L.A. movies pod. But in, in Casino, it really is as much of a character because of everything we've already talked about. Um, but I also did appreciate the Oscar Goodman cameo. Um, he plays uh, the lawyer. Uh, he was a real lawyer for the mob, I believe, allegedly. And um, 
he also served as the mayor for like most of my childhood. So I was like, <laughs> oh, it's Oscar Goodman. And they were like eating at the Oscar Goodman Steakhouse as well in that scene. Um, yeah. As a person who doesn't really go to the strip or Fremont very much, like even I could f- figure that part out. Um, yeah. So I thought that was cool. I mean, Vegas is larger than life. That's that's always been a part of it. Um, okay. What have you thought about most about this film since you finished watching it? I enjoyed how much Sam and Nikki thought the other person was the reason for their downfall. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like they're so in their own head and prideful and like I'm the reason for the success and they're so uh desperate for credit as these middlemen for the mafia that they end up actually just like eating each other alive. Uh, yeah, I really like the desperate for credit. That's so true. The other thing I thought of is the irony of um in the final monologue when De Niro's talking about the corporate takeover of Las Vegas and the example they show is the Mirage. And the reason that that's funny is because the Mirage is being demolished in the coming years to become the hard rock whatever and it's going to be like built into a guitar-shaped casino. It is? I didn't know that. <laughs> yes. Um, the volcano awful. Is, is gone. I mean, we have a sphere now, like to go along with our pyramid and fake Eiffel Tower. So the sphere is pretty crazy looking. The example of capitalism has just been torn down for even worse capitalism. <laughs> Not worse, but like even <laughs> more advanced more failed capitalism. Obvious capitalism. <laughs> to that monologue, though, you can read it kind of as a proxy of like Scorsese saying, like, Hollywood used to be this way and we used to run it. And we used to run it with like integrity and we knew everybody and was it a little unhinged and off the rails? Sure. But like we knew your name, we knew your order, we knew what you wanted. And like, God, was it beautiful. And then the 90s surge of the studios taking over and IP and big budget um, focus on movies. The, you know, the superhero part hasn't even come in yet, but um, just the, the incoming change that Scorsese is seeing in the movie industry. And he doesn't really have a point about it. He doesn't say like... And that's why I hate it. <laughs> yeah, in the tone, he's like, you know, it, it. this clearly sucks more than it used to. But the end of the monologue is, why mess up a good thing? And that's that. Did you read the um, Zach Barron's piece on Scorsese and GQ? I did not finish it. So one of the quotes um, that kind of got pulled a lot was him talking about the Academy Awards and saying he didn't really feel like he belonged in the Academy scene because he's kind of operating outside of it. Um, so it's kind of like a continuation of... Um, that kind of thought process. If people haven't read it, it's really great. It's a little sad, um, but it's just Martin Scorsese kind of reflecting on his life in a much more thoughtful way than you might expect someone of his like stature to be just so candid in a GQ interview. Good interviewer. Shouts to Zach's. What were some of the first things you looked up after you had seen it? Uh, so I wanted to see how much uh, Goodfellas loomed over this movie, just because obviously it, easy comparisons um, with the cast, with the subject matter. And obviously it uh, kind of impacted negatively how um, the film was perceived um, because people were comparing it to Goodfellas and Goodfellas is one of the greatest movies ever, right? But I think in the years since then, in the decades since then, um, people have been really coming back to Casino and judging it on, on its own merit. Um, in a lot of the reviews I was reading, it was like, well, compared to Goodfellas, it's not that. But um, and now people are just watching Casino. I think also it being between Age of Innocence and Kundun plays nicely because I think it is more like return to what people like about him 
I think people like those movies, Age of Innocence, more than people like Kundun. But I think that people were like, oh, here we go. Like a, 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 a wild, raucous gangster film back again. Um, so I think it stands out in that way as well. Right. Like it's coming five years after Goodfellas. It's coming after a costume drama. And we're like, yeah. oh, Marty's back. Even though, as we'll discuss, Age of Innocence rocks. Um, I also wanted to look up what happened with Sharon Stone. Um, she just wasn't as much of a presence in the 2000s and 2010s, um, despite being like so fierce in the 90s. She had like Basic Instinct and Total Recall and uh, this movie. Um, you know, she was a working actress. She had leading parts. She had some hits. She had some big misses. And then in 2001, she suffered like a brain hemorrhage and stroke that took like seven years to recover from fully. Um, oh, and wow. she said um, when she was coming out with her memoir, I think, you know, she was doing a lot of press. She believes that like, you know, Hollywood just kind of abandoned her. Um, well, which makes sense. The, the industry moves quickly. Um, you know, you lose seven years of work and, you know, people just find other stars. Right. So uh, Sharon Stone has also said some wild comments as far as like her, the belief in her own abilities that she's a great actress. But I think she said something like I'm better than Meryl Streep. Hmm. Well, that's a that's a take. That's a take. Uh, but we love an irrational confidence queen. <laughs> um, I also wanted to learn. Uh, so all the characters in this film are based on the book and the book is like a account of real people. But for the sake of, I don't know, probably legal reasons, they switch the names of everybody. So Sam Rothstein, uh, De Niro's character is a stand in for Frank Lefty Rosenthal, who was a Chicago bookmaker and then... Um, was friends with the mob and ranked casinos. I wanted to know what casinos he ran for real. Um, so he actually ran four. He didn't just run one. He ran Stardust, Fremont, Marina, and the Hacienda Casinos, which is, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, those were big ones. Uh, I also wanted to, uh, this movie had a lot of F-bombs. I learned in research that uh, De Niro and Pesci ad-libbed a lot of their conversations together, which I thought was cool. Yeah, um, clearly like two actors who have a lot of trust in each other, by a director who has a lot of trust in them. I also enjoy how Scorsese has a loose set and a loose script. Mm -hmm. I say all that to say they use fuck a lot. So I wanted to know how many F-bombs they used. And I went into some analytics as well. They used 422 throughout the movie, which ranked first all time at the time of release. That has now been surpassed by seven movies and it ranks eighth. That's crazy. <laughs> but it is a three hour film. So I wanted to know like per minute. Uh, and that stat is out there as well. It is there are two point four fucks per minute, which only ranks thirty seventh all time. Two point four fucks per minute. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I think a lot of it is the fucking motherfucker. Like the the double whammy is yeah, like yeah. what gets you that two per minute. <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. I did a swear words bracket a few years ago with some friends at like a house party I threw and very quickly we took fuck off the board because it was just too good and oh, it was clear like number one seed. it was like such a blind winner that it felt unfair so we did take it off the board and now like right above my TV there's just a post-it note that says fuck <laughs> <laughs> and it's just been there ever since wait, I did, the, wait, so did what that won? party um it was a tie between Jesus Christ and cunt. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. We couldn't decide. We just decided just a, just a, it's a draw. Is there two great swears? 
<laughs> I think it's funny that we counted Jesus Christ as a swear. It was in the the given list of like we started with like fifty, like a lot of swear words. Um, but Jesus Christ is such a good swear when you like can get it out like off your chest. It's very uh, versatile. Jesus, goddamn Christ, motherfucking Jesus Christ! Like you can add it with a lot of stuff. I think it just gives like a lot of gravitas. Um, it's a great swear. Anyway, so <laughs> that's my story about f- fuck. <laughs> um, wow, that was Amanda- Amanda's fuck corner. Uh, <laughs> not what you thought. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, speaking of fuck corners, I wanted to learn uh, how many real Vegas locations. <laughs> God. All right. So sorry. Jesus. Real Vegas locations. Honestly, too many to list. Of course, they filmed this on location. Uh, yeah. But I enjoyed that the Kansas City gas station is actually just like on Fremont. There's a liquor sign that's behind the gas station. Um, and that's the sign to Atomic Liquors, which I believe is Vegas's oldest freestanding bar. That's the bar um, we went to. Correct. Yeah. We found Atom- that wedding party. That was fun. Oh, that's right. Atomic liquor is rocks. That drink, that like gin strawberry oh, yeah. drink. Yeah. I think about it all the time. It's so good. I got to come back to Vegas soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Sam's house uh, that they have and that Ginger drives up the driveway is a real Vegas location. It is a real address. You can go visit it. I believe someone's living there. Um, so be kind. Wow. Imagine buying that house. Uh, what were your favorite scene or scenes from the film? Um, I love De Niro and Pesci in the desert. It's the colliding point, I guess. It's where they finally talk it out after this tension is built up. Um, to my point earlier about them blaming each other for uh, things kind of falling apart. Uh, I love the trepidation that De Niro has. I love the kind of winning charisma, but in a menacing way that Pesci, his like special cocktail of mannerisms can create. Um, and then their conversation uh, and all the, quote, fucking motherfuckers uh, that Pesci <laughs> rips off, um, all the composure that De Niro tries to play with. Uh, we haven't really talked about De Niro and Pesci as their performances very much um, here. Breaking news, they're great. I mean, there's not much else to say. Like, they're really good. It, it, it's under it's underrated. Um, but again, these guys aren't cool. These guys are losers. Yeah, I think that that is um, it's an interesting thing because a lot of people. After Goodfellas, we're like, oh, Martin Scorsese is is romanticizing the life of being a a gangster and a mobster when they're really just like dirty criminals and murderers and organized crime is ruining the country, yada, yada. And I think in this one, he sort of went with like, okay, but like also (laughs) like they are losers and their jobs are dependent on certain things and they murder for fun and and they have a temper and they want this luscious lifestyle and all this kind of stuff. So I think that that was that played into probably why he might have portrayed them this way. You know, even in Goodfellas, uh, in The Irishman, especially in The Irishman, he is so clearly pointing out, like, you don't want this life. Like, everybody yeah. dies terribly. I mean, The Irishman is the most obvious way where it was like, here's a new character who seems cool. He died when he got shot in the head on a routine drive in 1981. Um I was listening to, I think it was the Scorsese uh, conversation with Chalamet um, Mm, that mm -hmm. they did, where Chalamet's just trying to like hold it together. Uh, (laughs) um, But they're talking about Wolf of Wall Street 
and how uh, critic had been like, wow, like you know, Scorsese's not really making an opinion. Uh, he's not really telling us his opinion on these guys. And Scorsese's like, you need me to tell you that's bad. Like, you really need me to tell you that. And that's, I think that's the case here in Casino. I think that's the case in Goodfellas. It's just that Goodfellas is so much fun. Yeah, I mean, even when like Henry Hill is like so coked up and he's like watching the the helicopters above him, you're like, that kind of looks like fun. Like this movie <laughs> and then The Irishman, like they both get deeper into like, you do not want this lifestyle. This yeah. is not fun. Right. And, and Wolf, uh, same thing. We're like, yeah, <laughs> Jordan Belfort's a fucking loser. Uh and that's actual hell. Like, The Departed, everybody dies. Spoilers for The, De- the Departed. Like, you don't want to be in that life either. I just thought about the scene in Wolf of Wall Street where he's trying to go straight and uh, Jonah Hill visits him and oh, he's talking about the non-alcoholic sucks, beers. <laughs> he's like, so how many of those you got to drink to get fucked up? <laughs> it's like, hey, there's no alcohol. He's like, yeah, but like, how many? Go listen to our Wolf of Wall Street moonlight swap <laughs> for a real shift hinge. change but uh more martin scorsese chat in that yeah film. <laughs> for real um anyway so i love the scene in the desert <laughs> yeah um just to put mine in i i the scene in the cornfield toward the end like has stood with me forever like it's yeah. just it's so menacing it's so crazy and that is just like when i think of this movie i think of the very first uh, shot in like the the here's back to the beginning of uh, De Niro lighting the cigarette, and then I think of the cornfield. Those are my two. That's the most like biggest exclamation point of like this life ain't worth it. Correct, a hundred percent. I mean, it beyond the fact that, that fun. to that point, Pesci's like paranoid as hell, and they can't walk outside without covering their mouths like they're a manager talking to the pitcher on the mound because um, they <laughs> yeah. have so many eyes on them. Uh, to that point, uh, worst murder in the movie. Uh, you sent me a murder count uh, that somebody had built on YouTube. Shout out to YouTube. Shout out to the internet. Um, I believe there's 21 of them. So uh, which one is the worst in your eyes? There's a lot of really not good ones. Um, the head vice is bad. I love that he just threw that in there to like bait the censors and they left it in. Yeah. Uh, I uh, would have chosen that if the vice was the reason he died. But because like throat slash was the reason he died, not that that sounds great, but I decided worse than that was a random pen attack stabbing um, from (laughs) from Pesci in the like, it's like one of the first murders of the whole movie, Uh, just like loses his grip and then attacks this guy with a pen and stabs him. It is reminiscent of the do you think I'm funny scene in Goodfellas, but if he had no chill and then killed that guy. Yeah, he really channeled his inner John Wick. Oh, yeah, what was yours? The Pesci in the cornfield. Yeah, Um, it's bad. A couple more. Uh, Is Pesci the best F-bomb user in movies? I was thinking about this because I was recently re-listening to, for like the millionth time, um, Olivia Rodrigo's new album, Guts. Mm -hmm. And she might be the best fucksayer in music right now. Mm, okay. Just the way she like eats into it and like really just like, you yeah, know, in a versatile way too. Um, I love girl so, rage. So you know, in a way, is Pesci the Olivia Rodrigo of movies, or are both <laughs> of them? I think Brian Cox is the P- 
Pesci and Olivia Rodrigo of television. Oh, okay. Brian Cox versus Pesci. I think because we decide movies, it's got to be Pesci. Yeah, but so if we were just going in in content in in entertainment, I yeah. still got to give the edge to Pesci just because he's more versatile with it. Whereas Brian Cox is really like leans into the fuck off. Okay, who is your favorite Roy fucksayer? Honestly, it might be Wamscams. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was my that was my Tom impression. Um. <laughs> Your <laughs> um hey Shiv, uh sweetie. Um, um Siobhan, uh your father is really uh God, I fucking broken. love that show. That came out this year. That season. I know. I know. Um, I'm still Logan. thinking about it's it. Logan Roy for sure. Yeah, Lo- obviously Logan's the best. I think the most pesci esque though, Loki is Ro- uh is, is Roman. Roman. Roman was my second. I just- he'll be like he'll be like fuckity fucking fuck fuck. Yeah, which is Knucklefuck was why I chose Mom's Gams, because that's so funny. Yeah, that's right. Um, obviously, Logan is like the the heavy hitter of the... I, But it's like, it's the, the fucking motherfucker. Like, that is the Joe Pesci... You like, fucking motherfucker. So good at it, and it's so violent every time he says it. And you're like, wow, you are the scariest man I've maybe ever seen. Imagine if Pesci was allowed to say fuck in Home Alone. <laughs> One fuck <laughs> per Pesci film? <laughs> no, just like if he's just unleashed, like it's rated R Home Alone. So every time he just hear him go. Yeah, he actually, actually like, got like, to say what he wanted. Just fucking kid. Just fuck this fucking. <laughs> okay, now I have to find. I didn't do any research on this. Best F-bombs in movies. Okay, so Wolf is is up there. People gave that one. Uh, a good I guess good Jonah Burnthal yeah. is a good oh, F-bomb Bur- user Burnthal rules yeah oh you know who's a, who's oh. who's kind of c- well it's the third most fucks in a movie 569 Wolf is nice that's, that's a lot I know but the individual performance you know to have that many more yeah than this one I and feel like it's a lot a of lot. big crowds, like everybody says fuck at the same time, kind of, you know? <laughs> like in unison? <laughs> yeah, in, in chorus. Uh, you know who? You know who's kind of coming onto the scene in terms of uh, this <laughs> aspect of acting? <laughs> who? Jeremy Allen White. Yeah, love Jeremy Allen White. Yes, chef. Uh, that honestly. Like when he's like telling, he's like, Marcus, why are you fucking with me? Yeah. Shameless has some great swearing. Some great fucks mm. in Shameless. Really excellent swear show. Um, I mean, just nothing like Secession, though. Yeah. Anyway, I, I'll have to think more on it. But Pesci is—he's real. He's really up there. It's special. It's like the the Michael Jordan fadeaway. It's like uh, Magic Johnson going hee hee. Yeah, just like that. Um, okay. Do you have a favorite Vegas casino? So I don't gamble that much. The only time I've ever won money in Las Vegas. Um, I went up $80 and was like, cool, I did it. And then I like, walked away and didn't gamble the rest of the weekend. I was there. <laughs> so I think the casino I visit the most is probably the Cosmo because I like the restaurants there. Um, <laughs> famously, um, the D, just fun to have a Detroit theme. Co- yeah, shout out to Coney Island. Shout out to Coney Island, the worst I've ever felt in my entire life <laughs> the next day. 
Oh, God. That was so brutal. That was six years ago. My Snapchat memories reminded me. Six years ago today, we were driving to Los Angeles, and I made you stay in that terrifying Airbnb. Do you have a favorite Vegas casino? I don't really know the differences between my Vegas casinos, to be honest. It's really just like what the amenities, you know, like what do you want? Um, obviously, Cosmo's really nice. Uh, Sarko's really cool. I'm a local. I don't, I'm not really fucking with it. Like, well, I'll go to the station casinos a lot, like to place bets. Um, do you have any other comments or questions uh, about this film? Um, just one more comment. I love that the, or like one more comparison to Goodfellas. So sorry to Casino, but. I love that the end sentence of this film, uh, the like, it, it is what it is or why mess that's with something that. good or yeah, that's that. It just like puts like such a good period on it where I feel like Goodfellas started with like an exclamation point where as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster, the hit music like that is like the yin to the yang of why mess up a good thing. And that's that. And I, I enjoyed the inversion of that situation. I also think, you know, in the much debated young De Niro versus young Pacino, I I don't remember if I said this, but I think young De Niro is just so cool. He's just like so suave. Yeah. And it was really obvious again to me in this movie. I mean, he is really close to, to stoner Jackie Brown De Niro, whom you yeah. famously loved. Loved. Would you want to watch it again? It's long. Uh yeah sure I'll pull up scenes um I'm sure I'll watch it at some point again Marty's gonna Marty said Killers of the Flower Moon isn't his final film so I'm sure I'll run yes. uh, a bunch of these movies um back one more time at least uh if people love this movie uh what should they watch afterward obviously Goodfellas yeah. um honestly watch it with Goodfellas and Irishman just sit for like like ten straight hours and just <laughs> consume all of that content right into the frontal cortex of your brain. Um, it'll be great. It's so funny you said Heart 8 because I also said Heart 8, but for oh, nice. kind of different reasons. I think that the Gwyneth Paltrow performance reminds me of this Sharon Stone performance. Um, and of course, like gambling and, and all that kind of fun goodies. I love PTA. It is also not on my top PTA, but I do really love early PTA. So it's fun, fun stuff. Um, and then if you do want sort of like top of game gambling, Vegas situation i would also suggest molly's game um which i watched this year for the first time and really enjoyed kevin costner shows up in that movie he does it's not what i think of when i think of (laughs) molly's game all right we did it so we did it let's end on our top martin scorsese films you and i both admittedly have a lot of martin scorsese blind spots but we've done a good portion i think i'm up to like 47% of his filmography I've seen at this point does not include all of the documentaries. I just mentioned, I just put a few of them on my list, but as all of his uh, films and all of his short films are on, are on my list, but still some big ones I haven't seen yet. Um, And I know there's some big ones on your to-do list as well, but out of the ones that you've seen, give me five to one, your top Marty films. So I've watched 18 films. I've never watched the docs, but um, I'll get there eventually. So anyway, my number five, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, 1974, um, starring Ellen Burstyn. Uh, Really sweet movie, lovely movie, and a cannonball of a Harvey Keitel um, cameo. Um, Number four, Age of Innocence, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, Your Girl Winona Ryder, a stunning Michelle Pfeiffer performance. 
Um, and the only fault of that movie is not expecting Daniel Day-Lewis to age as well as he actually did in real life. Speaking of aging, number three is The Irishman. I watched this movie for the first time a couple weeks ago. Finally. Speaking of aging. <laughs> and gorgeous, heartbreaking, fulfilling, twisted, beautiful movie. I think of the scene with De Niro and Joe Pesci um, near the end, drinking grape juice. And if you watch that movie, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Uh, just heartbreaking um, for a bunch of evil people. Number two, speaking of evil people, Wolf of Wall Street. We talked about it on the pod. Listen to it. And then number one, Goodfellas. All my life, I wanted to make something as good as Goodfellas. Uh, <laughs> that's my list. Amanda, what's yours? It makes me so happy that a movie I gave you on Blind Spotters made your top. That like over the moon. Love, love, love. I mean, okay, yeah, it's so Wolf. <laughs> it's, so, it's you hadn't seen it. Don't fucking yell at me. I saw it in the theaters. <laughs> My number five, George Harrison, Living in the Material World. This is a documentary on my very favorite member of my very favorite band. Um, so obviously, I I love it. Um, my list is so fucking film bro basic, but whatever. Um, four, Taxi Driver, just a movie that's really stuck with me, really haunting, extremely good. Um, young Jodie Foster, incredible. Three, Wolf of Wall Street. Truly one of my favorite movies to quote to The Departed, a movie I will go down for no matter how bad people it think won it best is. picture. You're right. I don't think people think that that movie deserved to win best picture or best director. But you know what? I love that movie. Wait, three guns to your head, Departed or Little Miss Sunshine for best picture that year? Little Miss Sunshine. But it's, just, <laughs> it's, not, the, it's not the right answer, but it's my answer. That I really like, I'll just like watch like half of The Departed sometimes. That's less unhinged than Girl with the Dragon Tattoo being a comfort movie. I also love Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I know. And then number one, of course, is Goodfellas. Just a movie I probably watch every single year. Uh, I don't know what else to say. It's a perfect film. There's nothing wrong with that movie. All right, let's start rounding it out because we've been chatting for a while now. Yes. Um, which movie do you think Louis would love more? I don't I'm not sure he's having a good time at either. I don't think so either. Um I think he would enjoy the reunion of Pesci and De Niro as a film buff. Um but I think he would find it far too violent. So I think he's going to he's going to have the the elevated take of liking the color of money more. Yeah, because you have to remember, he'll be a Paul Newman guy for sure. Like, Oh, great if, shout. Yes. <laughs> if he loved the blue of the ocean, he'll love the blue of Paul Newman's eyes. And he'll be like, oh my God, he's playing Fast Eddie again? Sure. I love this bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it, it is really great. I it's wish so more good. people listened to our pod so more people could like just enjoy and appreciate that bit. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> As we round out here, why don't we talk about what we're watching in December? What is our swap for the end of 2023? So we're doing Documentary December, um, DocuSember, if you will. Yes, I will. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I think it's funny that you mentioned before recording that, of course, for number five, I had a documentary because in the last two best of the years, I've had a documentary at number five. And now we're doing documentaries. I love documentaries. Um, so I will be watching When We Were Kings, and Zach, what will you be watching? I will be watching Amy. What do you know about When We Were Kings? Literally nothing. You gave me three films to choose from, 
And I don't remember if this one. Oh, this was the boxing one, right? Yes. This is the yes. Muhammad Ali movie. Yes. Nice. Okay. I couldn't remember if it was the basketball one or if it was the boxing one. Have you seen the movie Ali? I don't think so. Oh, that's even better. Nice. My dad yeah. met Muhammad Ali once and got a, what a, the fuck? a, a signature <laughs> from him. Yeah. That's my dad's sick. My, my dad's so cool. <laughs> a well connected man. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right. What do you know about Amy? All I know about Amy is uh, it's about Amy Winehouse and. Amy Winehouse is in my musical blind spot as well. So uh, I'll be covering yes. a lot um, and uncovering a lot there as well. It's also like perfect Winehouse listening season where it's like dreary and like chilly and like reflective. God, so I, British. There, Yeah. There is like a <laughs> 70% chance I cry in next month's swap. I rewatched the trailer and I cried. So it's going to be great. Okay. Aside from Amy, an amazing documentary, what else is on your watch list? Um, after watching Casino, I just realized I have to watch more of these Vegas movies. So I want to watch Leaving Las Vegas, um, Nick Cage, Elizabeth Shue, 95 film. I also want to watch Belly, uh, Hype Williams film starring DMX, Nas. Zane Hopin was telling me that I even need to watch this movie. Uh, he was like, I've heard so many great things about the intro of this film, and they just put it on the Criterion channel, which is sick. Yeah. And then lastly, uh, Priscilla, the new Sofia Coppola movie. I'm actually going to go see it um, when I'm in New York City with our good friend Maya and Bobby Krause. We are dragging Bobby Krause to go see Priscilla. He very much was like, whatever you want me to see, I'll go see it. Amazing. How about you? What are you? Uh, what's on your watch list? I just want to reflect on your three real quick. Um Leaving Las Vegas is also on, like, uh, while I was doing research, I was like, oh, I should actually see this movie. In addition to everything I've been watching, as you painfully know in our text messages, I've been rewatching CSI for, like, the ninth time. <laughs> Love that show. <laughs> Just a great comfort show. But, like, lots of Las Vegas. And Elizabeth Shue is in that show later in later oh, seasons. So that's, that's very fun. Shout out to Elizabeth um, Shue. Uh, all fantasy, everything that I really like loves Belly. They talk about it all the time. <laughs> That's all I know about it. And that it's on the Criterion channel. That's all I know. It's a movie I should have seen 15 years ago. Yeah. Well, now you're going to see it now. Yeah. Um, and then Priscilla, you can read my review in the Arizona Republic by the time you listen to this episode. Um, whoop, whoop. And you, Zach, can read it tomorrow if you'd like. Um, very <laughs> I'm going to watch the movie first. All right. What's on my list? Um, the Holdovers is coming out in a few weeks. Oh, yeah. That is the Alexander Payne movie with Paul Giamatti that a lot of people are sort of pinpointing as maybe a unforeseen contender in the best picture nomination um so that has piqued my interest evil lurks here is a movie from shutter that everybody i know on like horror movie twitter is like what the fuck did i just watch this might be the most fucked up movie i've ever seen and so of course i was like how do how do i get access to this um so i I'm going to sign up for a free trial of Shutter. Watch it. <laughs> Close it down because I can't afford anymore. I can't afford <laughs> anything else right now. <laughs> and then a movie I think will be just all right, but I'm excited to see it, is Saltburn. Comes out at the end of this month. I'm so. so excited to look at that movie. Yeah. I have a lot of mixed feelings about Promising Young Women, and I feel like I'm going to have a lot of mixed feelings about Saltburn. But I'm also just like excited like to excellent Jacob Elordi performances like who would have ever guessed that like this would be one of the standout stars from Euphoria but it looks absolutely gorgeous 
It's also the return of Rosamund Pike, who we famously love as well from Gone Girl. So I'm really excited to see Saltburn. Um, I think it comes out toward the end of this month. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can always find a new episode of this podcast on the second Tuesday of the month. It's bonus episode season as we wrap up the year. So I'm sure we'll have more fun stuff coming your way. Apologies on not having a horror movies bonus pod. I literally have been so ill. (laughs) So this is the best my voice has sounded in weeks. Um, But thank you so much. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at BlindSpottersPod, and you can find us on Twitter at BlindSpotters. Zach, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at ZachPockLub, and as always, you can find me on Letterboxd. How about you? You can send me all compliments to at Amanda Luberto across all social media platforms. All right. Oh, we did it. What's the next Scorsese movie you want to watch? I'm not a huge concert movie person, but I feel like I should watch The Last Waltz. Or The Last Temptation of Christ. So last something. What about you? (laughs) Um, I'm debating between Silence and After Hours. Those are two big ones I haven't seen yet. But I also have Gangs of New York and Aviator that are on that list as well. So I enjoyed Aviator a lot more, I think, than other people. (laughs) Did you ever watch Shutter Island? I did. Fun. Okay, nice. That was another option for this swap. But we went with Casino. I feel like that... Now that you've seen Shutter Island, do you see what I mean? Where it's like, I like that film, but like, if we're going to talk about Scorsese, we should talk about Casino. Yeah. Do you understand the lore of silence uh, and regarding Andrew Garfield? No. That's the movie that people blame for breaking up him and Emma Stone. Um, I think Emma Stone wanted to break up with him. I think that's what broke them. <laughs> I, I don't. Once you watch the movie and read more about it, you'll be like, oh, he was probably unpleasant to be around. Yeah, I'm sure. I do know that Adam Driver's in it. And it's about God? (laughs) Yes, silence is about God. (laughs) Okay. You'll see how funny that question is once you watch it. Okay, can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) All right, bye. Bye. The balls roll funny for everybody, kiddo.